Let's pretend for just a moment. Let's pretend that your banker calls you up and tells you that there's an anonymous donor who loves you very much, and he has decided to deposit 86,400 pennies into your account every single day, every single morning. That's $864 a day that is going to be deposited into your banking account, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year. But now he says there's, there's one stipulation to this. He says you must spend all that money in the same day. No balance is going to be carried over to the next day. Each evening the bank must cancel out whatever sum that you have failed to use. And that amount will be lost, never to be regained again. Now you're thinking, wow, that, that's great. I mean, it's one thing for our government to send us a, a stimulus check, and, but wow, this would be unbelievable for this to happen to us. And as you're hanging the phone up, your minds are already calculating. You're thinking of all those great things that you can have, things that you can do with so much money. But again, then, then you're reminded that whatever you don't spend is forfeited. Well, obviously, that's pretend, but let's play another game. Let's play, let's get real for just a moment. Did you know that every single morning, someone who loves you very much deposits 86,400 seconds of time into your life? That's 1,440 minutes or 24 hours in a day. And to this gift, the same stipulations apply. You must make use of this time by the end of the day because nothing carries over into the next day. There's no such thing as a, a 29-hour day. What is wasted remains wasted, never to be regained again. As someone put it, life is like a coin. You can spend it any way you want, but you can only spend it once. Well, this area of time is one of the most fascinating of all subjects, I think, that, that we look at. I mean, no matter who you are, you have all been given the exact same amount of time in a day. Whether you're rich or poor, young or old, single, married, whether you're a student, president of the United States, it doesn't matter. We all have the exact amount of time in a day. And much of our life rotates around time. You know, it's time to get up. It's time to go to school or time to go to work. Eventually it will be time for lunch. It's time to go, we say. You know, we, we wonder how much time something will take. Or we look at it and we say, you know, something to say, I, I don't have enough time to do something. What is time? Well, Webster's definition of time takes up a whole column on one page. I mean, it's, it's such an extensive definition, so many sides to it. But I think it's safe for us to say that, that time is a period of duration in which things happen. Okay, time is a period of duration in which things happen, whether you're awake or asleep, whether you're serving it well or whether you're wasting it. Time is a measurable period 
in which things happen in our life. Now why? Why is time important? Time is significant because it's so rare. It is completely irretrievable. You can never repeat it. You can never relive it. Instant replay, it's only on film. It's not in real life. There's no do-overs, all those shows that talk about going back in the future or you know, hitting that reset button and rewinding. You know, they're, they're all a myth. There is no instant replay. Time is irretrievable. And again, as you look at time, you, you think how you perceive time is different based on what you're doing. I was thinking about this earlier this week. Uh, you know, two weeks on vacation on a Caribbean cruise in the you know, beautiful, sunny weather, warm weather. Two weeks of vacation is a lot different than spending two weeks on a diet. I mean, how we perceive that time depends on what we're doing with it. Well, in our study of the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon... The, the, the king of Israel has been searching, if you remember, he's been searching for fulfillment in life. He's tried numerous things, and he has come up empty. He uses a, a very simple phrase over and over and over again. He says, life is vanity. Vanity of vanities. Vanity is his conclusion. It means frustrating. Life is it's just frustrating. And now he comes to chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes. Again, remember, he's been looking at life under the sun, a human perspective. This isn't with God involved. This is, you know, just in this physical realm. He says life is frustrating. And now he comes to chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes, and Solomon steps back from his journey, and, and he, he breaks life down into measurable chunks of times that he calls events. Now, we, we read those events a little bit earlier here, but verse 1, it says, there is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every event under the sun. Now, following that opening statement, he then names 14 events that happen in life, and he gives the contrast of each of those events. I mean, in context... It's almost a monotony about the list. I know sometimes, you know, it's preached differently and talks about all these things that we have in life and different things that come into our life. But, but if you put it back in context of what this book is talking about, there's almost a monotony about the list, an endless cycle, the same old thing. We're born, we die. We, we laugh, we mourn. And, you know, it just the cycle is, is constantly going on. And, and, and so he's given these contrasts to, to kind of, you know, wear us down at what life under the sun is all about. Let, let me just highlight a few of the things. He talks about a time to be born and a time to die. Quite honestly, you can't do much about planning either. Both are dictated by God. You can't plan. You didn't plan. You didn't have any part of your birth. You didn't plan it. And in the same measure, you don't know when you're going to die. You don't know what's going to happen. You know, I can't dictate how long I'm going to live. God controls them both. He says there's a time to plant, time to harvest. You know, there are certain times that you plant certain foods. You don't go out in the middle of winter and you don't plant corn. Likewise, you don't go out any time you want and, and harvest your crops. There are certain times that these things happen. <coughs> Excuse me. He talks about a time to kill and a time to heal. And, and life seems to hover between, you know, these facts. 
I mean, you look at your daily newspaper, and on one hand you have, you know, you see these savage, cold-blooded killers. You see terrorism around the world. But in the same paper, there'll be news of a new drug that will help us to live longer. There's times to break down and times to build up, times to weep and, and, and times to laugh, laugh. These two opposites, I think, are God's way of speaking to us, the times of weeping and, and, and the times of joy. C.S. Lewis once said that pain is God's megaphone. He whispers to us in pleasure, but he shouts to us in our pain. And both of these are extremes are important for us to have in our life. You cannot solely live with one and not the other because we learn from both of those. Matter of fact, I remember reading about Charles Spurgeon. Uh, you know, he, he had quite a sense of humor and is a, a pastor. And uh, he once was quoted as saying, there are things in these sermons that may produce a smile, but what of them? I am not quite sure about a smile being a sin. And at any rate, I think it's less a crime to cause a momentary laughter than a half hour of profound slumber. And I guess I would agree with him on that. You know, there's, there's times to weep. They're important. But there are also times to laugh. There, there's time for us to, to have joy. God has given both in this life. Again, times to mourn, he goes on. and says times to dance, times to throw stones, times to gather stones. Uh, this one's appropriate for us in the circumstances we live in today. It says there's times to embrace and times to shun embracing. You know, I, and I think we probably can all attest to the fact that there is a need in our life to have embracing, you know, of a friend, whether, you know, just encouraging us, coming alongside of us, whether it's a physical embrace. You know, it, it strengthens us. And we all need that, and I think we, we'd attest to that fact right now. But he also attests to the fact that there are times that we have to be corrected. That the last thing we need is to be comforted and hugged. We need to be taken by the shoulders and shaken and said, you are wrong. You know, both of these things are needed in our life. He goes on, he says, time, there's times to, to, to get and times to lose, times to keep and, and times to throw away, times to rend and there's times to, to sow or to heal. How I wish I could learn this, this next one ahead of time. <coughs> he says there's a time to keep silent and there's a time to speak. Now, don't we all wish that we had someone invisible to whisper into our ear? Psst, you need to speak up right now. Or probably more often we need someone to go, Psst, you need to shut up right now. You need to not talk. You know, most people would say when in doubt, it's best just to shut up. But that's not necessarily true. There is a time when it's important to, to speak up and to declare your convictions. And certainly as Christians, as we talk about our faith, there are times. You know, silence at the wrong time may indicate that you see something is nothing wrong with a decision or, or you might even be taken as that you would be agreeing with it. Solomon was right. There's a time to speak. And then there are times to keep silent goes on, says there's times to love and time to hate, a, a time of war and, and times of peace. So I read all of these together. Again, 14 things. Two questions seem to leap from the pages of Solomon's journal of, of what's the purpose of this being recorded for us? 
Question number one, as we read all of these, and we see all these contrasts, is what is the profit? What does it matter? What's the gain of, of all of these things? Verse 9, he says, What profit is there to the worker from in which that he toils? I mean, Solomon has given a long list of opposites. 14 positive things he talks about in our life that are somewhat offset by 14 negative things that happen in our life. And, and, and again, in context, they seem to cancel each other out so that the, the next net result is zero. Vanity, emptiness, good is canceled out by the evil that is around us. Birth by death, love by hate. And that seems to be his point here. Read of a yellow octagon sign that read dead end and someone had spray painted two other words underneath it saying what isn't and that's kind of how Solomon was seeing life under the sun this physical life see in context that's the whole point of this section this is the whole point of this book because it doesn't matter if you have 86,400 seconds in a day or if you have 86 billion seconds in a day. If you are living that time for the physical, if you are living that time without God, he's saying it is vanity. It's frustrating. There, there's an emptiness. It doesn't make sense. I mean, times to laugh are empty. They're shallow. Times to kill are frightening. Times of embracing and peace, you know, they leave us empty. Literally, he's asking that question, what is the profit? Or what does it profit? <coughs> Excuse me. He asked a second question. Okay, first one was what's the profit? The second question is what's the purpose? What's the purpose? Where is life going? If it's just this reoccurring cycle that's happening over and over and over again for, you know, four to 6,000 years, what is the purpose of it? We consider that there is a time for everything. But many times we don't know the purpose. Why? You ask yourself that question all the time. Why is this happening now? Why is this happening to me? What is the purpose? Sometimes we know the right action we're supposed to take, but we don't know the timing that we're supposed to take it. So there's a lot of confusion. It all seems to add up to nothing. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not going to kid you or myself. Um, this whole chapter and this cycle that we have looked at can easily get very monotonous. Um, I mean, we've had, you know, we're going into three chapters. I think we've had, you know, three to four uh, sermons on this. And it's getting kind of monotonous, the futility of this life. Once again, I think Solomon planned it that way. I think he has so belabored the point for us that we are finally ready for some answers. And he begins to give us some of those answers in verse 10 and 11. He says, I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. He has made everything beautiful or appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart Yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. 
Let's talk about some of these answers here. First, he says, God has made everything beautiful in his time. King James used beautiful, uh, and, and Nasby uses the word appropriate in its time. Um, that, that's very important for us to understand. That's very important for the answers that were given. Because with God in the picture, you know, this is a never-to-be-forgotten statement. I mean, Solomon is finally looking above the sun, and there he sees the God who perfectly puts all the pieces together in his time. So suddenly this endless cycle that we are on, you know, we have times of joy and times of mourning and, and, and there's death and there's birth and all these, all these times, they are made beautiful in the hand of God. And how much we fail to see when we leave God out of the picture and we miss his timing. Now just this afternoon, I was talking with Rhonda Heff, and as some of you know, uh, the brain tumor that she had, the growth on her brain that she had removed a few years ago, uh, it has come back. And she was kind of giving praise to God at how they found it, just like they found it the very first time. It was almost by accident. Uh, the doctor uh, said they're going to have to do surgery again on her, but if they hadn't found it, that he gave her about two years to live. I was talking to her about this, and she was, you know, we we're saying that there's no accidents, you know, that, that it wasn't lucky that this was found, that God purposed for this to be found. And, and one of the things that we also talked about is it's, it's times like this that we see God's intervening hand for a praise that this was found, that they could do something about it. It helps us also to accept those times when maybe something isn't found. And, you know, something humanly we wouldn't want to happen ends up happening. See, God brings all, in, in God's hands, all of these times, all of these extremes that he has been talking about, they can begin to make some sense. As I see things through his eyes and in his time, a beautiful picture comes together out of the futility of this life. There is purpose in tragedy in war and death and in mourning. There's reason in calamity and the chaos that we see. I see his sovereign hand at work reminding me that he is still in charge no matter what it looks like around us. So the first conclusion is that, first answer is that God uses all of these things. He's using them in your life to make you more like Jesus Christ, to make you more into his image. God has made everything beautiful in his time. Now the second conclusion though comes from verse 11. He says he has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their hearts, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. Now the second conclusion I want to focus on is that statement that God has set eternity in our hearts. Or he has set the depending on your translation, he has set the worlds in our hearts. Let me say, what does that mean, that God has placed this in our hearts? That word eternity, it means, it's talking about a curiosity about the future. Eternity is something that's out there, that's not here right now. It, it's beyond us. It's, it, 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 it's, it's waiting out there. And God has not only given us a timetable and all these things in our timetables, 
and all these events that occupy our physical days, but he has also given us a curiosity to know about what's next to come, about the time after this. You know, we're always looking at tomorrow. We're always wondering. We're always planning. We're only, always hoping. Again, this is, you know, being after the image of God. This is, he has placed this in our heart. And since that is true, excuse me, God made us this way. You know, that, that's true. Um, he didn't put curiosity about tomorrow in animals. Only humans have that curiosity about tomorrow. You're not going to wake up in the morning and see your dog making a to-do list for the rest of the week. It, it doesn't happen. But so much of ours is we're looking in the future, yes, physically, but also in our heart we're considering eternity. And since that is true, since we will not find out about tomorrow without God, our pursuit needs to be of him, the one who knows about our time, the one who knows about the beginning from the end. That's what he meant when he said he has made everything appropriate in its time. He has set eternity in our hearts so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. God knows that. God has that purpose. God has done it. And, and, and often we don't know. But to know God is to know that peace, to know the one who holds those things in his hands. This means that you and I, we are not ready to handle life until we're ready to place our hands in God, the one who holds the birth and our death, that holds all of our time together. And this is, this is one of the conclusions that Solomon is coming to, that it is only God that can make reason out of this purpose of what you're going through right now, whether you know, you're going through a great time or whether you're going through a time of struggle. Only God can bring purpose to that. When I get eternity securely in place, when my life is in the hand of God, when my future is in his palm, it's remarkable what it'll do to this time and how I spend my time knowing where my eternity is, you know, what, what I will do with this time. So do you know what time it is? It's time to come to terms with our eternity if you haven't done that yet. We played let's pretend, we played then let's get serious. Let's play, let's plan ahead for just a moment here. Since God has put eternity in your heart, and since he makes all things beautiful in their time, we've got to focus on planning ahead or we will never put life in its proper perspective. This life, this time, or the time to come. I came across a, a book with a series of sermons in it from the 1920s uh, by a Negro at the time, a Negro pastor. And it's called God's uh, Trombones. It's a series of, of seven sermons. And, and, and they're, they're just so descriptive. And it talks a little bit about time here. I want to read uh, quite a bit of this for, for you if I could. It says, in that great day, people in that great day, God's going to rain down fire. 
God's going to sit in the middle of the air to judge the quick and the dead. Early one of these mornings, God's going to call for Gabriel, that tall, bright angel Gabriel, and God's going to say to him, Gabriel, blow your silver trumpet and wake the living nations. And Gabriel's going to ask him, Lord, how loud must I blow it? And God's going to tell him, Gabriel, blow it calm and easy. Then putting one foot on a mountaintop and the other in the middle of the sea, Gabriel's going to stand and blow his horn to wake the living nations. O sinner, where will you stand? In that great day when God's going to rain down fire, O you gambling man, where will you stand? You whoremongering man, where will you stand? Liars and backsliders, where will you stand? In that great day when God's going to rain down fire and God will divide the sheep from the goats, the one on the right and the other on the left. And to them on the right, God's going to say, enter into my kingdom. And those who've come through great tribulation and those who have washed their robes in the blood of the lamb, they will enter in clothed in spotless white. And to them on the left, God's going to say, depart from me into everlasting darkness, down into the bottomless pit. And the wicked, like lumps of lead, will start to fall. Headlong for seven days and nights they'll fall, plumb into the big, black, red, hot mouth of hell. Too late, sinners, too late. Goodbye, sinners, goodbye. In hell, sinners, in hell, beyond the reach of the love of God. And I hear a voice crying, crying, time shall be no more. Time shall be no more. And the sun will go out like a candle in the wind, and the moon will turn to dripping blood. The stars will fall like cinders, and the sea will burn like tar. And the earth shall melt away and be dissolved. And the sky will roll up like a scroll. With a wave of his hand, God will blot out time and start the wheels of eternity. Sinner, oh sinner, where will you stand in that great day when God's going to rain down fire? My friend, time has begun for you it's begun for me but one thing we know that if you're hearing this today time has not yet ended for you my question to you is are you ready for a time when god will blot out time and start the wheels of eternity are you living for that time are you looking for that time he has made it very clear he has put into your hearts a sense and understanding that there is something more than this life here there's something more than what we grind out between love and hate and, and birth and death and laughter and crying. There's something more, more to this life. What is going to be your hope? What is your sure confidence when God steps on the scene and announces to you your time is up? If you are not absolutely sure that at your, the breathing of your last breath, that you will be in heaven, that that is your eternity, that that is your destiny, then you really are not ready 
to start living today. And that's why we're here. That's why I want to point you to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who came to give men and women hope. He came to give us forgiveness of our sin, to pay our debt, to give us an assurance of a resurrection, of a new life with him. And he came to put purpose in our heart for this life. John chapter 1, verse 12 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name. Is it time, my friend, is it time for you to take that step of faith? To come to Christ, to give your heart to him, to ask for Forgiveness of your sins, as, as I have done, as so many that are listening to this, they've done, they've given their life to Jesus Christ. Is this your time to do that? I'm going to invite you to pray with me, if you would. Father God, I am so thankful for those that are listening to this, that maybe they're not sure of their eternity. God, you have given them the time. You've given them this moment. God, I just ask you to, to convict the hearts, to break, break that, that will, Lord, as you broke mine, Father, and brought me humbly before you, confessing myself a sinner in need of a Savior. Father, if there are any hearts listening right now, whether they've been in the church for years or never been in a church, right now, Lord, you say, if we call upon your name, we will be saved. And so I pray for them as they pray in their hearts and they say, Lord, forgive me. I am a sinner, Father. You know my sin, I know my sin. But most importantly, Father, right now I know that you love me and you came to pay my debt. You gave me that this, this time to repent, to give my life to you, for you to become my Lord and my Savior. And right now, Lord, I am taking that lifeline. I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart. I want to live my life for you. And I thank you, God that truth that when we call on you will be saved and Lord I pray as well for any believers I pray for myself in the midst of this time that we are living here to not lose sight of who controls our time and who controls our events you are a sovereign God and help me to draw closer to you Father so whatever I experience under the sun here can be given to the glory of your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.
心。